0: You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, proudly sponsored by LFG Australia, lfg-oz.com.au. Or you could visit their store in Canberra, it's in the ACT, for all your board gaming needs. And now, on with the show. The D-
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is indeed the Dice Men Cummins, episode 360. We are going to talk about all things board games, card games, anything gaming-wise you can play on, around, in, or near a table. I am one of your hosts, Mr. Leon, joined, as I am always, by a Mr. Mark. Thank you, Leon. As well as a Mr. Garth. Yes, you are. And, yes, episode 360, a full
0: circle, some may say. Yes, and... We've been out of action for a little while. Life, unfortunately, does get in the way sometimes, but to make it up to you all, we're back with what I think will be, unless we talk really, really fast, a longer episode than normal because we've got not one, not two, but three games to talk about reviewing Garth, you're going to regale us with the story of how many bones you actually had and whether there were too many.
2: Yeah, and that may be playing a part in why there hasn't been an episode lately (laughs) because this game's long.
0: Yes. Um, And then Leon will tell us about an uh, Archaos Society and what exactly that is. Uh, Digging up a lot of those bones, evidently. Mm. (laughs) And then I will talk about a game which, let's just say L-O-T-R-W-O-T-R-T-C-G, except... It's not. WTF? <laughs> uh, it's it's Lord of the Rings, The War of the Ring, The Card Game, although its full title is actually just War of the Ring, The Card Game. So it's not an LCG or a TCG, although it is The Card Game, which is what TCG stands for. But it's not a trading card game. But we could know.
1: trade it away, though, couldn't we? We could. Have you got any other acronyms to throw at us while you're at it? And I was just going to point out very quickly that a ring, how many degrees is a ring, Mark?
0: 360, like <laughs> oh. Unless it's a bad ring, and now we've gone full circle. <laughs> well, There you go. So we've got three games to talk about, and then we're going to update you all with what's happening on the podcast going into the future. But look, let's not talk much longer, Garth. We've got games to review.
2: We do. I was going to go for a ring joke, but you know the the three stages of marriage. Oh, you yes. got the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffer ring.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Hang on this is the this is the family friendly episode. I didn't ever. swear. Yeah. We're all happily married men here, Garth. But we Garth, don't, Mark, we don't, we don't, we don't <laughs> want people to think that you know that life is full of suffering.
2: All right. Well, then the
0: engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the gamer ring. <laughs> and on that note, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with our reviews. You're with the, the Dice, Dice Fan Karma.
1: Hi, I'm Isaac Childress, uh, the designer of Gloomhaven and Frosthaven, and uh, you're listening to The Dice Man Cometh. The Dice Man Cometh! Okie dokie, after that riveting break in proceedings there, which wasn't just 10 seconds on our end absolutely at all. Uh, as you can tell, we're right raring to go. We're, mm. not, we're not rusty and ill-equipped in the slightest. <laughs> we know what we're doing. People have come here for podcasting board gaming gold, and that's what we're going to give them. And what do you do with gold? You dig it up. So, and, so, and you turn it into a ring? And no, we're doing Garth thing with the bones first.
0: Oh, but it has 360 degrees of bones. Again, that's
1: later. Garth! Too yes. many bones is a board game. We have played that board game. We're now going to talk about that board game. Please do so. Yes, we have talked about this board game Never. Yes. For, mm.
2: At least when there's been microphones nearby. Mm. Uh, and we have played it multiple, 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 multiple times because this game, oh boy, she's a big un. Mm. Uh It's also a heavy Um, but it's also quite small. Uh, the box that it came in, and I do need to say a massive thank you to Chip Theory Games for providing us with this review copy. Um, it was lovely. They gave us the review copy of the base game, they also gave us an extra gear lock. Mark, one of your kin. Um <laughs> uh, I get it. Uh, and we have played I'm Gen X. Prob- no probably half a dozen yeah. different scenarios. I, and- I
0: feel like this may be well it's definitely one of, if not the most, the, the game we've played the most prior to reviewing just Don't because give away our there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot to it. Yeah, we're pretending to be actual reviewers with this game and play it quite oh. a few times. Especially well, if,
1: especially if we, like, say, played it the first time and we, say, played it on difficult mode just, just for fun. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> uh, it's also a very expensive game. Mm. yes. So we'll get to that. So anyway, I am
2: not going to explain it to you. I'm going to read what the designers do in explaining what this game is. Beautiful. So if you own this game, uh, you can read along with me. It is page two. And I'm starting at the disembarkment notice which is very thematic. So in Too Many Bones, you are playing as an unusual race of adventurers headed into a land overrun by all sorts of hostile creatures. Your race has lived hidden in the deep wood for centuries, and only recently your kin have been forced to emerge to the south and take shelter within the walls of Obandar. Due to your reclusive lifestyle, many in town are encountering your race for the very first time. Some locals believe you to be an elf, Due to your distinct facial features. Others would say a goblin from your size and build. Others still would insist your high technological aptitude proves you a gnome. Only those most intimate with the deep wood know your true kind and kin as Gearlocks big eared, thin bodied creatures with conflicting loves of nature and machine and an insatiable thirst for adventure. Mm. And that is really all you need to know to get started in this game. Because it will start with you choosing which kind of gear lock you want to be. And in the base game, and look, I think we just stick to the base. Yeah. When we talk about the gear locks in more detail, we can throw Boomer into the mix as another one. But you'll start with four, which is Picket, Nugget, Patches and Tantrum. And look, they're tropes. You've got your fighty barbarian. You've got your healer. You've got your sort of ranged attack. Um, You've got a bit of something for everybody. And that's nice because, you know, when you're... Get a DD campaign going yep. or you roll out some old school hero quest or something like that people like playing different roles yes what it also leads to is heaps of replayability yeah. which is also very very nice we've got boomer which you know as the name suggests also encounters bombs and throwing things and making things go boom boom um this quality of componentry becomes very evident very quickly when you will choose your characters because you'll get and Ship Theory Games are famous for this, a whole bunch of waterproof stuff. The waterproof stuff will include a character mouse mat material bob, which is where you're going to store all of the chips and all of them bones that you're going to need. Uh, you'll also get a character sheet, which, again, is waterproof. Plastic bits of paper, which makes perfect sense if you want to play it in the bath or the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll also get lots and lots and lots of cards. You've got trove cards, you've got encounter cards, you've got solo mode cards, Mark. Mm. the enthusiasm (laughs) uh you've got waterproof poker chips and waterproof dice and so much other stuff that i'm not even going to bother going through with at all uh the first time you set up this game it will be annoying and painful just to try and figure out how it should all arrange on a table so that everyone from one to four players can not only do what they need to on their own mouse mat character board Mm -hmm. um also the mouse mat for the central gaming board which is really just a fighty board uh and all the various cards which the plastic nature of them makes them rather slippery Mm. so if you've got say a very uh thick deck of trove cards which is the loot that you will get quite often the, the deck will just slide around a little bit
1: Yeah, as this board game is kind of like, as you said, an RPG-ish kind of scenario, uh, when the person that uh, either buys this game or is the person in the group that they decide, I'm the one that's going to learn it. Be prepared that it's going to take uh, quite a bit of time. You're not going to be putting as much effort as, say, if you were an RPG DM, creating it all off the top of your head. But you have got a book that is, although written well, it is a lot to take in at first. So when we first started playing it, it's, you do feel slightly... I wouldn't say overwhelmed, but there's a lot of there's a lot of icons. Mm. There's, there's an icon for every bloody thing. Mm. So it's just a matter of wrapping your head around it. But once you do, it's like a lot of these games that, you know the level of entry is a bit high, but once you're in, she's all pretty straightforward yep. from there. Yeah, look,
2: the the overall rules are fine, yeah. but it's the in this situation, in this situation, in yeah, this situation, yeah, yeah, yeah. with this character, with this thing, with blah 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 ba. Blah, blah, blah. And that's why these individual character sheets that you're gonna get are crucial. We'll talk about why, but not now. It says the game goes from one to four hours, I go ha <laughs> No it doesn't goes near an hour. I can tell you that much. It goes multiple
1: hours to four hours or more. Yes. Oh, yes. The, the one to four is ridiculous. But I was going to yes. say, the first game we played, it was probably less than four, only because we got trounced. But yeah. but it still took less than four. Yeah. Um, and then when we, you guys played it another time, when I wasn't here, I turned up thinking, oh, they'll be nearly wrapping up by now, and then sat here twiddling my thumb for about three hours <laughs> while, while you guys finished a combat week. So. So, yes, we obviously
2: pay a very hefty Diceman tax when we sit around the table and talk because we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, which you may have got a little inkling over the last decade. It's kind of what we do. Mm. Um, but let's talk about this. You've done all your setup. You've set everything out. What you will do is then you will choose one of the seven tyrants that come in the base game, which are the big bad. And each game session is really the up to four gear locks, going on an adventure with the ultimate goal of fighting and defeating this one big bad, this tyrant. Um, You will construct an encounter deck that is kind of loaded. The first couple of cards are pretty similar. They're kind of the, you leave the city, something happens, and then you continue on. It then becomes a bit more random as you get a a random smattering of encounter cards with some tyrant cards potentially thrown in. Because while there is one big bad, that big bad might have some Inchmen, some underlings, and they'll get randomly thrown into this encounter deck so that you never really have the chance to prepare fully, except having a little bit of agency when you're going to fight this big bad.
1: Yeah, which makes sense because a lot of uh, RPGs and even like video games and stuff these days, you can start a game and follow the path you're told to. But if you do divert left, you could wind up with a level 99 dragon in your face. So you need to be prepared that this game does give you the kind of freedom and a bit of the randomness that things, every time you play, because this game you know, has those different scenarios, it could be slightly different. So it depends on the way you've built your characters in the way you want to play, which I think is a nice way of doing things. Yeah, it is good. And
2: look, the good thing about this game, Leon, is if something like that happened, where you ended up taking the wrong decision that ended up in everyone dying, the good thing is the rest of the game becomes easier. Oh! Oh,
1: we're going to talk about that, don't you worry. Yeah, because
2: it really doesn't. No.
1: So you've set up the game and
2: you're about to start, but even starting itself is not a simple decision because you get to decide how hard you want this game to be. And it makes absolutely no secrets, whenever you look at any kind of information about this game on the internets, the YouTubes, the book itself, that this game is bleep, bleep, bleep difficult. Yeah, And good. it is fully expected that you will lose. Not just an occasional encounter in your first, second or third game, but you will more than likely lose to the first time you play The Tyrant you'll more than likely lose maybe the second time, but just not so bad. Um, And that's why having these seven tyrants doesn't mean you're going to play this game seven times. It might mean you play this game... 30, 40, 50 times
1: uh, and maybe squeak out some wins. Which is also important that the components of this game, as you said, are of tippity-top quality Mm. because the replayability of these components a lot of people don't think of in these type of games that like, oh, I love this game, I'm going to play it 50 times. Outside of sleeving those cards, the little bits of plastic or little bits of wood can get worn down to nubs over time whereas this game, you can, as you said, you can keep this in the freezer (laughs) if you want or the fridge or you can spill beer in it which we did for only a split second because we still don't necessarily Trust ourselves uh, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Correct. So you've made all your decisions now, you're about to start. You get
2: your individual cachet of bones. Yeah. Mm. Uh, now, your bones, for those of you who don't know what a bone is, is dice. Yeah. So uh, they're just almost all D6s. Um, however, a very, very small percentage of them would be considered your standard D6. Um, Everyone is associated to one of the gear locks. There is an individual die for each Tyrant. There is condition die that might say, okay, you're bleeding or you're poisoned or you're this or you're that. Um, There are hundreds of dies in this game and you will see some of them during the course of your game because in your individual mouse mat, It has little inserted dice spots. Dice holes. Dice holes, um, where you will put, typically, some dice i'd be very surprised if you ever fill up all your dice holes um you've got your sort of four main stats like your health and your decks and your movement those kind of things there are your standard d6s because you will have starting stats that you can then buff up every time you get a little bit better Mm -hmm. um there's also going to be your standard attack and defense die which is really just shields and swords to indicate how much damage you are either inflicting or how much um protection you are offering on yourself to stop those incoming attacks Because you will get attacked a lot. Um, And then you've got all your individual ones. Now, it's not just a mess of, I'm going to put my dice out here and see how they go. These dice, you might start with some. Especially if you start on the easier and definitely the recommended (laughs) starting level. Where you might start with a couple of what they call training points. Training points are where you're then going to be able to turn however many points you've got. Into either um, dialing up some of your existing die to make them stronger or getting access to new ones. And on your player, mat, it's not just, as I say, a free-for-all. You have to start in this particular skill set. So say I want to get better at having more, I don't know, bleeding damage. I have to start with this particular die that then will lead into this next die that will then allow me to unlock the Buku Mega Awesome Die. But that's going to take a while. And if I do that, I'm sacrificing the options of increasing my health or my movement or my something else that, I really want to do and it becomes a real challenge already and you haven't even flipped over the first encounter card yeah
0: so the the dice mats are very much i guess you'd say in the video game parlance multiple skill trees yeah it is yeah. and sometimes uh, bone trees oh yeah <laughs> um so and sometimes as you described garth you've got to go from one to the next to the next Sometimes you can just get access to a die when you've got a skill point to, to spend. Sometimes the, you've got a splitting skill tree. Like, you, there's all sorts of variety in the characters. They're all quite different as far as that goes.
2: Yeah, they are. And then you've got the, what the hell do these dice actually do and why do I want them? And all of this becomes part of the puzzle of constructing what will be your ultimate character by the time your your particular scenario ends you will make mistakes in your first couple of scenarios because you'll go, all right, well, I've got Tantrum. Tantrum is all about frontline fighting and it's just about raging and going up there and going, "Ah!" but you didn't get the die that you should have got when you had a couple of training points a little while ago. So his rages aren't very effective anymore. And, oh, there's a big bad there, but I can't do it. But I need to take damage in order to trigger this ability on the die. But if I haven't upgraded my health, so if I take one hit, I'm dead. Oh... Yeah, Mark. can we can we sort of go back a couple of encounters and fix it up? <laughs> no, <laughs> how about you just lose and start again? Oh, by the way, there's four hours ill life you won't get back. Yes. <laughs> hey, Mark, how does that feel? Oh, it
0: Feels much like real life. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> um,
2: so we could talk about this for a long time, but we're yeah. not going to. You flip over an encounter card. Um, there are typically not so many. Each different tyrant. On its card, will tell you this is how many cards you've got. This is the number of sort of underlings it's got. And it'll also tell you how many days you've got to be able to attempt to win this particular scenario. Um, They might go from six days up to a lot more. We mistakenly made the decision, and by we, I mean me, made the mistaken decision of going for our very first campaign. Let's just do a quick one. (laughs) Let's just do the six-day one. It'll be easy. Um, Not easy. Yeah, it was quick. Still four hours. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you've constructed it, you flip over the encounter card, and it says, okay, this thing happens on your encounter card, you're typically going to have one of two choices. It'll be, you do this thing, if you succeed, you'll get these rewards, and the rewards are typically going to be training points. They're going to be progress points, which again is another, not a currency, it's a timer, where you need to be able to have a certain number of progress points, meaning you've successfully done the encounter, in order to be eligible to fight the big bad at the end um, and then you've also potentially got some loot now loot comes in two types you've got your standard loot cards which again you flip over the loot deck and you get the thing a lot of them are single use maybe a couple of use buffs yeah. um, and then you've got trove loot which usually that's going to be your higher level more persistent you know it might be an armor upgrade or a weapon or something or other but you got to try and unlock it you've got to sort of use some lock picking don't even know whether we're bothered going to talk about that but it involves surprisingly rolling some dice yes um or bones <laughs> exactly. um, and once you unlock that you get that permanent boast uh, bonus so you flip over and collectively however the person who flips over the card will make the ultimate decision what do we want to do do we want to do option 1 which will lead to a fight it means we might have a particular situation occur where we have a bonus or something bad happen to us and if we do it we might going to get you know Two training points each, one progress point, and a a loot card each. Great. Or the second option is we're not going to fight. We're going to sneak around the side. We're going to hide in the shadows. Um, You'll get your progress point because you've successfully done the encounter. But you're not going to get a training point because you didn't fight. You didn't get a chance to get any better. And damn right you're not going to get any loot because you're getting the loot off these things that you're going to kill, but you chose not to. You chose to be a coward and go around the side and just hide in the shadows. (laughs) You get nothing. Um, Typically... It's something like that. Uh, You'll occasionally get your encounter-specific ones, which are tied up to the um, Tyrant, and they usually, unlike all the other cards, will cycle back into the deck so that you know that they're there. There's an increasing chance of them coming back as you go through the encounter cards, which are otherwise normally discarded, until you have achieved enough progress points to be able to go and do the big bad. Now, seems straightforward, and it's not. The... (laughs) encounters if they're non-combat encounters it's typically going to be make a decision it might be that you need to roll some dice or do something as a team together Um, for example a non-combat thing might be using the central mouse map which is the combat board which is a 16 dot grid it's a four by four grid where you're going to put your poker chips and you might have to together over two turns each knock out some poker chips which are counting as stalactites and stalagmites to get you through a cave. Something like that. And if you don't do it, you don't get the bonus. The real part of this game is all about the combat. Now, monsters come in three categories. And by categories, I mean strengths. Mm. You've got your sort of one-pointy ones. You've got your five-pointy ones. And you've got your 20-pointy ones. Um, that's their hit points. Um, as gearlocks, you will typically start with, I don't know, Four, five, six yeah. um, hit points each, which you do have the opportunity to spend your training points to make stronger and stronger. But if you're just upgrading your hit points, I'm not unlocking any of these dice. And this game's called Too Many Bones, so I want to have too many bones, not just a lot of health.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, uh, and thanks to something that I've mentioned many times on this show, uh, the old video game of Dark Souls and the FromSoft games, uh, this board game has taken a cue from that in that the, the level one guys you talk about, you think, ah, we'll smash through them, maybe the fires will give us a bit of jip, but those bosses where we really need to focus. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't pay attention to those level one guys. They are going to spank you just like anybody else. Yes. Which is great fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, fun. Fun, you say. Yes. Um. So...
2: You flip over an encounter card, you say, yeah, we're going to fight this thing. And it's not going to tell you who you're going to fight. It's going to say you're going to fight a baddie or a BQ. Baddie Q, um, which is highly thematic. Yeah. Um, uh, A baddie Q, which is a certain number of, of points worth of bad stuff. And the game mechanic is, say we're fighting 12 points of baddies. That means we're going to have the biggest number baddie that we can have. And then fill up the little gaps with um, little ones. So say we've got 12 points, you're going to take two five points and we're going to take two, two ones and the big ones will come out first and then the little ones will come out second. Now, the thing is about the bad queue, it scales really, really quickly <laughs> yeah. because it is the day of the adventure that you are doing and every single encounter is a day and there is a little poker chip that has 20 slices to signify days one through to 20. So the number of baddie points you're gonna have is the day that you are on, times by the number of gear locks. So day one, that's fine, we're gonna point, in a four player game, we're gonna fight four points. (laughs) That's easy, we'll be fine over that. Day two, eight points. Um, By day five, you're already fighting 20 points of baddies. um, And you haven't upgraded your character by that amount of extra damage with all those bones. And it becomes very difficult very quickly because it's not just like you're fighting stronger baddies. You are fighting baddies that have increasingly weird and wild and wonderful powers, uh, different um, buffs, different sort of shield types, all this different stuff, which is thankfully all mentioned on your individual player aids. But they become little so-and-so's that are just increasingly harder to fight. You'll set up the battle, and on this 4x4 battle grid, the um, think of it like a chessboard. You've got one side where the, the good guys are going to start, you, uh, and the other side is where the baddies are going to start. On each side, there are two rows. The farthest row, the one that's on the border, is going to be for your ranged attackers. Um, and then the next one in is going to be for your melee attackers. Um, it doesn't take long for this to be very, 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 very crowded because you're going to play four adventurers. So typically each one of those slots is going to be filled up by an an adventurer. And the majority of the starting ones are melee fighters. Uh, And then you'll have a random assortment of the um, the baddies. And yes, there will be four out there. But say, for example, you've got a baddie queue that has five or six different monsters in there. Every time one dies, another one's just going Mm. to come out and fill its spot. Um, So that's really nice. Um, It gets worse from there. Because a lot of the time, they're going to come out and have a higher initiative than you, especially if they're the stronger ones. Um, And the thing is about ranged attackers is they don't need to move at all. There's no range issues. There's no line of sight issues. Now, it goes for the goodies and the baddies. But typically, the baddies, they're just going to sit away in a corner and just go, p-chew, 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 p-chew. shoot, 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 kill, kill, kill. And a lot of them, especially in the mid to higher tiers, will be able to shoot multiple mm-hmm. um, gear locks at the same time. The little chip that represents the baddie will tell you whether it's fighting the strongest, um, sorry, targeting the strongest gear lock, or the weakest, or the two strongest, or the two weakest, or some combination thereof, and is it going to inflict poison, which you really can't do much about, or is it going to fly away so that you can't attack it and then it's going to scream down and attack you the next thing? I could go on and on and on and on,
3: Mm. but it
2: just becomes an increasingly painful adventure where you really legitimately have to work together as a team to figure out how the Blazers are we
1: going to defeat these people or these
2: ogres or these things, whatever it is you're
1: fighting. Even to the point where between the missions when you have your training points and you say, right, I'm going to take this die that does this special ability and buff up this. That should almost be a communal agreement between everybody. It is your character and you are somewhat role playing as them. But at the end of the day, if Mark says I'm not going to put anything into my health at all. I'm going to really go into attack. (laughs) A sensible Leon and Garth, uh, a completely sober Leon and Garth, which is very rare, would say, Mark, uh, you need to take damage to get your buffs up maybe a bit of health yeah. wouldn't hurt. <laughs> uh, because like I said, it is, and as you said, it is that much of a chess game, but it is a chess game where you've got three or four heads, depending on how many people you're playing with, that it's really, really important that
0: everyone is, is really on top of their game. But Leon, if I put my points into hit points or buffing up my stats, I don't get to get a new die. And look, surely they this game not. is all about getting new die. Because... You can never have too many bones. You want all the bones. You do want all the
2: bones, and you will never have them, Mm. and you will never have enough training points because I don't think I've seen a situation or an encounter card that might give you more than two training points. Two training points is delicious and great and enjoy it while it lasts, Um, but it's not going to be on every encounter, and it's not going to necessarily get you what you need. You're 100% rightly on that this game... Look, it is 100% fully cooperative. There is no trader, even the way we play it. <laughs> but you need to work together. You need to really do your min maxing. You can't just go, oh, I'm just going to use this point for something because I can't think of it. No.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Naughty Garth. Don't do that. <laughs> Look at your player aid. Look at the back side of that player aid, where it not only shows every single die and every single face of that die that your character can have, it will tell you what every single face on that die does why you should care and it does even include a little if you haven't played before these are the first couple of things that you probably want to start off with yep. just to get your character through those first couple of encounters
0: such a relief actually that it does have that mm. information on the mat, because otherwise you'd be totally lost and i when i was reflecting on this game um a game that i've played once and some other friends of ours have played a few times recently that it reminded me of just in the asymmetry is root where you know you almost need to learn a new game for each different character this is not quite to that level but the characters are so different that you really need to spend that time studying that that mat studying what your dice do and often you know we'd be referring back to the mat and work out, hang on I've rolled this what does this mean because so many of the dice have like not one or two custom sides, six custom sides with all the special symbols that are unique for that particular, for that particular die. He's that excited, folks.
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah, but it is worth mentioning. We said before about the quality of this game is top notch, but then the actual text and things that are on those player mats—they essentially couldn't be better for the fact that anything you need to know about your character is on that player mat. Yes, it's double-sided. I'll get over it. It's fine. That's because there's a lot of information in this game. I get it. Uh, But, yeah, you always are going to find the stuff you need on that player mat in front of you, which is what you need in a game like this. You can't be searching for information and being flustered. You need it kind of where it's supposed to be, which is right in front of you. Yeah, well, I mean, the the way the game works, I can explain it to you now. You flip over an encounter card.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: You do the encounter. Yeah. You get the reward, you recover, and recovering is either getting your hit points back, or being able to scout, which means looking at some some upcoming monsters to get a bit of an idea, and if you don't like it,
1: putting it at the bottom. Which, just quickly, in a lot of games, I always think, oh, I don't care, the next card's just going to come out anyway, yeah. I couldn't care less. In this game, yes. you want to know what monsters are coming 100%. next, because if it's got... What is that goddamn buff thing where basically no matter how much you hit it for, it only takes one hit point? Whatever that one is, that can Tough. get that can get to mm, mm. on so many enemies that are just. Blah, blah, blah. But yes, in this game, it is actually important to do the scout. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, flip over a card. Is that all? You do the card, <laughs> you get the reward. Should
2: you succeed, um, you recover, and then you move the encounter um, chip forward one to the yeah. next day, and you rinse and repeat. The intricacies in this game are all about how the dice interact with each other and with how they interact with all the individual abilities for the gearlocks and for all the big bads that you're going to be fighting. And the fighting part of this, the rule book is. That's a whole nother table, a whole other series of steps in itself because it'll apply at this step and this step and this step. It doesn't apply in that step, but then this thing will happen and it will apply. So it's all about those nuances and that's where this game is absolutely not something that you buy a non-gamer because it will do their heading
1: yeah but it's very important to mention that like a, a bit of a bit of a look behind the curtain here we have played this game quite a lot but we're talking several months ago by this point however even on BGG, I'm sure this game is probably in like the fours or something in the difficulty or complexity we could set this up and play it I mean Garth's the one who owns the game so he'd be the one to have to worry about the setup but in terms of playing the game we could play this right now no issue whatsoever cool let's do that yeah. <laughs> <All right>. whereas, <laughs> thanks for listening whereas half of the euros that all of us own that are yeah. in like to say the threes and complexities no chance whatsoever, you're going to give me a panic attack if you said, let's play that right now. I wouldn't have a clue. Whereas this, you could go, right, I know what I'm doing. Let's whip it down. Just give me a second and I'll look at my character sheet. Let's rock and it. And that's that's how
2: I taught it, yeah. I think, the second or the third time when uh, Trent joined us. Just said literally said, we're going
1: to play. This is basically how it works. Let's yep. go. You'll
2: figure it out. And yeah. the good thing is, and this is not a spoiler, um, the first three encounter cards are the same. So, you know, it is, we're leaving town, um do you want to leave town oh here's a little easy fight do you want the help from the guards or or or, or not if you get the help from the guards you, you're going to have an easier fight because they'll rain down some arrows but if you don't take the help you might get an extra training point and then the third thing is another one so you'll always have this couple of pre-planned encounters mm. that will allow you to you know, potentially buff yourself a little bit more maybe get yourself some a, a bit of loot that might um, make you a little bit stronger as well but it's all about this interconnected web of how my character works with your character and your dice will interact with my dice yeah. because sometimes you will have things that will allow you to buff allies. And oh, this monster's going to target the weakest character. So, um, Mark, if you want to go up and smash him, you've got the most hit points, which is great because that monster's not going to attack you uh, because it's a, a, a ranged attacker. And as long as you have more hit points than Leon, it's going to attack yeah. Leon, which is all good and well, but Leon's our healer. So if he dies, he's got no way to heal us. Yeah. So we need to try and measure out how we can make sure that Garth gets attacked so that he's got one less chip of health than Leon. So, uh, And this is every fight, yeah. not just the fights when you're half a dozen days into this in the encounter. This starts on fight one, because if you don't lose any hit points, that opens up the option to scout more, to be able to get some more loot in the recovery phase. If you lose hit points, that's bad. Um, if you have a gear lock, they don't get die. They don't get died. They don't die. They get knocked out. Um, that and basically then they means get up again. They do, because you'll never keep them down. Um, they will typically just... Well, they play no more part in the battle. Yeah. Um, and then they will use their recovery phase to recover the hit points, and they're back. However... If you have a total party kill, mm. the encounter's not over because you're not killed, your total party knocked out. Um, you lose the encounter, of course, so you don't get any training points, you don't get any progress points. You sleep it off, you recover your hit points, and the good thing is the encounter just <laughs> notches up because it's the next day. Yeah. So you're full back to hit points, which is great, but you haven't got any of the rewards from the previous card, but the monsters have now got even tougher. Yeah. Because the difference of a, a, a day five monster where it's four people and it's twenty points, we're now on a day six one and it's twenty four points, but we're the same scummy gearlocks yes. that we were two days ago. Yes.
3: Oh.
0: And lose two fights in a row and uh, it really starts yeah. to ratchet up. Ha-ha. Um you want me to do my rant now or later? What would you prefer?
1: (laughs) Do it now so that I can have a drink and stop talking for a minute. Okay. Uh, Yes. Uh, This mechanic, as Garth said, you lose a battle, you will then repeat that battle, and it won't be exactly the same. It will be harder. It is... There's no way other than I can say it. In my head, I mean, the designers might be able to talk me till they're blue in the face, what they think and the reason they've done it. I think this is... It's just... It's bad design. There's no other way I can put it. I'll mention yet again... The Dark Souls equivalent. In those games, they're very, very difficult, but they're not unfair. The enemies don't get stronger. If you lose against the dragon, that dragon the next time is going to do roughly the same type of stuff. You learn the patterns. You learn, I might not be able to fight this and beat it at this point in the game. I have to go away and do someone else. Blah, 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 blah. But it's always fair, even though it's difficult. This just getting more difficult, and you've been given no extra buff to yourself... I just, in a game this long, in a game that's this complex, I think is, to me, it's a very, very big negative. And after the first time we played it, it nearly made me want to never play it again. I did because I'm a big boy and we had to play it again. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, you, you wanted to throw it in the river, but that wouldn't matter. I know. <laughs> I would have just floated down to eventually it got to my house. It would have taken a day or two, but it would have got there. But yeah, I, I really adamantly dislike that feature of this game. So people do need to be aware that it is a thing that's in there. Although, you could probably just ignore it if you wanted to. <laughs> not that you should have to house through any game, but it's not a,
0: good. As a counterpoint, though, does... As a what? As a counterpoint... Mm-hmm. Just making sure I heard properly. Does not the fact that things get tougher mean you're you're encouraged to play better, to play your character better... I know I feel like it is pushing you in a way where you have to get better, otherwise you're gonna get smashed. And I wonder if it's like a, if it's almost forcing you to actually engage with the game and think, okay, I really have to do better this time. How am I gonna do that? How am I gonna use these skills? How are we gonna to work together? Like, is it that pressure that's actually creating the fun in the game?
2: I think there is absolutely an element of that. The challenge is, though, with the fighty board being so small, Mm. there's such limited options to be able to do that because you don't have the option, like you do in Baldur's Gate 3 video game, (laughs) to go to Withers to pay 100 gold and say, I just want to respect my character, thanks. (laughs) I'm just going to take all them bones and I'm going to convert them back into training points and I'm going to rebuild this character to the right way because I've only found out what... All the mistakes I made when I'm three and a half hours in and I can't land a punch because the bad guys all kill me before I get
0: it. Or even Gloomhaven where I might go run behind a rock for a turn (laughs) to stop and breathe for a minute. Yeah. Maybe heal up, maybe, yeah, get some bits and pieces together and then come out because there is nowhere to hide on that board. So that's the thing.
1: I'm not even necessarily saying that it should get easier at all. Yeah. Yeah. I have no, if literally if this game just said, oh, the encounter, you just do the encounter again. Yeah. I have no issue with that. If yeah. they gave you stuff in between which made you a bit better,
0: yeah. cool. You
1: yeah. keep going to you beat the, the entire This sc- one was just a dream. Yes, yeah, so you keep going to you beat <laughs> the entire scenario even if it takes you 12 hours. But the fact that it gets yeah. harder, and yeah, as yeah. you said, the only thing you can think of is that it possibly becomes a deterrent. Yeah. I mean, that's the same argument as, say, why corporal punishment's a good thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I would argue not yeah. so much. But yeah, I, I honestly, in this game, especially since it's... Just the way that it's set up and the way that it's implemented, I just don't think... In a game that's already hard enough as it is, if it's a game that was quite easy, I could kind of understand it. Because you could side, kind of say, yeah, we failed, we have to try again, it's a bit harder. But, you know, this game is not that difficult, so it's fine. This game's already hard. It don't need to be mm. giving you extra slaps in the face. Well, for
2: example, our very first game. Now, admittedly, we played it at the normal level, which is actually <laughs> the hardest level. Yeah um which means you don't start with any extra training points as little pre-buff and da da, da. anyway that was my fault um because i missed that one <laughs> sentence in one of the rule books yeah. um we were able to get through enough scenarios to have enough training points to go cool let's fight the baddie yeah now i can't for the life of me re- remember the baddie's name However, the Mr. baddie yeah, yeah. basically says, you're going to fight this one, it's this guy, plus you've got all these baddie points. And, oh, by the way, um, this particular baddie, it's all about a one-on-one fight. So you're just going to go in one gear lock at a yeah, time, yeah, and you're was... basically doing tag team wrestling, where once this one gear lock has been knocked out, the next one's going to come in. That is remarkably hard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, that becomes increasingly hard when it's your first game. So that's not the game's fault, that's ours. But it's also increasingly, increasingly hard when you don't know what your build needs to be. Now, you'd need to do that scenario half a dozen times by itself with the same four people playing the same four characters to get anywhere near approaching being in a position where you go, we got this team. And this is why, as much as it probably pains me to say, it's a solo game.
0: Because I, you thought say, I
2: thought he was going to say Leon
1: was right. I was already no
0: Leon's head. Leon's. <laughs> oh, but, like it, no.
2: but it is because, and we've spoken with Mitch. Yes, you know the the board game barbecue person. Um, he loves this game. Yeah, and he sets it up and he plays four characters and he does these scenarios because he's got no life, and that's great. <laughs> and Mitch, good job. Good, 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 good on, on you. you, sir. Exactly. But I can see legitimately why this is a highly rated solo mm-hmm. game and in my darkest moments of despair i almost thought about having a look at the solo encounter cards to go yeah should i ask mark
1: to do this should i ask him to play no nah. like, just just call us if that happens don't just yeah. no matter what time of the day just just give us a ring don't go thinking don't go actually ag- opening the box and getting that idea the
2: closest ahead. in living memory that i've ever come to potentially playing a solo game wow. is when i was in this very room a few years ago isolating in COVID mm. after someone gave it to us at a, a convention that was on the border and I put tapestry on the table
1: <laughs> and I set it up and sat down and read the rules and went, nah. Well, I did the exact same thing with, was it Mage Night, the, the 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 king of yep. solo yeah. games literally lent it off somebody in COVID, set it up. Uh, did I set it up? I don't know. Maybe I just read the rules back to front and just went, yeah, nah, I'll just play the video game. Back again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So but, not for us is what we're saying. <laughs> no, but I can totally see it because yeah, yeah, yeah. once you've read the
2: rules, mechanically the game is is simple. It's yeah. it's all about the intricacies of you know the characters and the dice. So I can see why you would do that because you'd be able to smash out this game maybe in an hour mm, if you were I, just going full ball, bah, 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 you know, the game inside and out and you're doing it all by yourself. I
0: think part of the unknown for us is. There are a hell of a lot of expansions. And even now, I think
2: maybe a big trove up,
0: box. To, up to like three or four different base sets. You know, there's like a, a two-player base set. There's, there's expansions that add extra adventures, extra characters, extra monsters. And I wonder in that somewhere, is there a sort of a... Not that you need everything, but is there a bit of a perfect storm where maybe actually if you start with this box, then you add these characters, and then I think there's one expansion that makes it more of a persistent world rather than a one and done. I wonder if there's a perfect storm in there which actually makes it like a fantastic game for me. I had a heap of fun with this game. I certainly probably have had the most fun I've had in a sort of a tactical battlefield map type game compared to so many other dudes on a map where I just I lose interest because the puzzle in your brain of trying to make your character interact with the other characters to do the thing it needs to do to contribute to the team to get the result that you need to get to move on to get the more dice and then which dice are you gonna get like the puzzle in that is fascinating but as you've said Garth there is there's a steep learning curve not for the mechanics of the game but how you use the character and I know I played one character, the ragey one, a couple of times, and I I pretty much thought, yeah, I'm really not getting this, and I moved on to another one, and then I found I had a lot more fun with that. Then I tried another different one, and I had a lot more fun with that. So I think picking a character that suits your play style is quite important. Uh, Spending the time to get to know your character, reading that mat basically back and front before you start. And then every single time choosing how to spend a training point because it is super-duper-duper
2: critical. You make one wrong decision with a training point, that can absolutely alter the game state.
0: But I think the fact that we did, and yes, we had a few different people come in and out, but the fact that we did play this game like half a dozen times, quite happily, um, compared to often with our review copies, we really will have had enough after the first, maybe we'll get to the second... I think that in itself speaks for speaks for this game. That that, that was a big thing for me. Yeah, I, but I, I totally didn't expect. Agree.
1: Yeah. Uh I'm basically the opposite of nearly everything I said. <laughs> uh, no, I don't dislike the game necessarily, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm not gonna lie and say that, that that whole it does get hardy when you lose. It should have as you said, theoretically it should have pepped me up more to be more invested in that puzzle, yeah. to care more. But it really did deflate me when it came yeah. to the combat and it's this game for me is very similar in my head to that of Gloomhaven, which obviously out of the three of us, I'm the l- least fan of. The least gloomy. Because that's the and good The most problem. gloomy. And that is that I like a lot of the stuff about this game, like the, the adventure side of it, the training points, the characters, all that kind of jazz. But the actual combat, I must admit in this, I did find... I don't know if it was I found it tedious or a little bit boring, I don't know. I just I didn't get into the puzzle as much and yeah. a, and there is a lot of combat in this game. Same as like everything around Gloomhaven was great, but the actual cards in Gloomhaven, you had to get rid of them to kind of do stuff that with my anxiety just and yeah. that's your health, it just that alone didn't grip with me, so then straight away that game is kind of out of my head. Yep. With the 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 combat in this, I'm um, and again, I know I'm in the minority because a lot of people love this game. Thirty seventh best game of all time, and for a solo game, I can as you I can absolutely see that. Uh, but yeah, that combat did get a bit grating for me, mainly because it got so hard mm-hmm. so quickly. Uh, but overall, it's a game that I would recommend everyone at least check out. Because for some people, my God, is this going to be there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But for other people, maybe not so much. But even those people, it's worth a crack because yeah. there might be some part of it you find really enjoyable. Yeah, and, and as
2: you say, yes, agreed. And there are so many different components and modules and expansions and blah, 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 blah.
0: Yes, there is so much in there. But
3: Ooh.
2: have we
0: talked about it enough yet? Um, I think we've... Have we done Mostly too done, many talking? Done the length, <laughs> the length of a full episode just in this review. Well, it's a lot of bones, Mark. Uh, there are <laughs> clearly yeah, about each individual bone. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's oh, before I cough myself to death, let's
2: take a break. You wouldn't be to death, you'd just be knocked out. And then we start again, and this whole break about too many bones would just be harder.
0: We'd have to do it about 10% longer than what we it, just did. It may be time for me to take a whiskey drink and then take a lager drink <laughs> um, and think about the songs that remind me of the good times. Um, and one of them is this one. The Comet. Hello, hello, Ignacy Trzewiczek, Portal Games, and you're listening to The Dice Man Comet. Uh, have a great time. Okay, we've cleared away the pile that is the bones where they were. I think we ended up with the conclusion that there were too many. We've moved that aside. We're now taking on something a bit more achievable. And Leon... Hello. You're going to talk us through the game that is a re... Not a re-theme, but a re development of another game that is yes. the game Archeos Society.
1: That is indeed what I'm going to do. So Archaeos Society, as you put it, Mark, is a slight re-implementation of the game Ethnos. Now, mm. a better podcaster and a better researcher would look into this and have a correct answer for what I'm about to say is... Ethnos actually was reviewed quite well and quite positively by a lot of people. So I do kind of wonder why they went back to the well with this one. They didn't change a hell of a lot. They changed slightly Mm, a bit here and there. They might have heard our review of it. Possibly. We we weren't we were in the definitely the lower bracket of the of the people that enjoyed it, that's for sure. But as I've written here in my second line of my uh, of my notes, uh no more dwarves, elves and dragons. Now we have botanists and curators. Hey. So your excitement is absolutely bursting, I can see from the looks of
0: your pretty little faces. Tr- Clearly they're trying to jump on the uh, the Indiana Jones train, which is the train featured in the latest Indiana Jones movie if you hadn't seen it.
1: Oh, you mean that movie that nobody went to see, much I like did. the last one. I did. It it
0: was good. I really liked it. That's good that you were the one that went to see it. (laughs) Congratulations, Mark. I know someone who went twice. Oh, there's two of you. Wow! I've
1: let the studio
2: know. There you go. $30 (laughs) box office. Smash.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the game is for two to uh, six players. Mm. Uh, A certain website, which I won't mention bgg we all know what it is yeah uh it says that it's best with four however this he game mentioned it and I, I, I did uh it moves uh pretty quickly so it says that it takes about an hour or so to play and i would say that that is roughly true kind of regardless yeah. of play account yeah. it's a so. lot more true than the <laughs> too many bones, <laughs> one,
0: one to four hours yes. bgg
1: mm-hmm. this
2: website i was looking on yeah. says one to two hours for too many bones <laughs>
1: to set up perhaps mm-hmm. uh so Archaeos Society, and indeed Ethnos, was designed by Paolo More. Mm who has designed some other games, games that we have talked very happily about. which Blitzkrieg? Libertalia. Blitzkrieg, indeed. And another game which may be the top... I know it is on my list anyway. It may be the top uh, kind of whale or hidden gem to a lot of people these days, Dogs of War. Oh, yes. Which is a game that came in probably a decade ago by this point. I've never played, never seen it in the flesh, but I've heard is awesome. And there's been talk, I think, every year since it came out of... Oh, it's finally getting reprinted, okay. which I think I read somewhere earlier today and... We will see. (laughs) So, in this game, you will guide your team in the Archaeo Society as you explore legendary sites. Mm. You must decide whether to form small expeditions for quick progress or larger expeditions that are more effective but slower to assemble to achieve your victory. You must carefully manage your efforts in recruiting and accumulating discoveries or while monitoring the progress of your competitors.
0: Accumulating.
1: Accumulating, that's right. I never said these were grammar students. (laughs) These were archaeologists. And botanists. Yes, exactly. So, (laughs) what do you actually do? Well, i tells tell you. On each turn, what you're either going to do is you're going to recruit uh, a new explorer from uh, the top of the deck or Mm -hmm. from the tableau that's on the table in front of you, or you're going to launch an expedition by playing a set of cards in your hand that are either matching the same colour or the same roles. Mm. There's various different colours in the game and there are various different roles. There are things like, say, the students. The students suck. They do. However, there is twice as many students in the deck as any other. So if you want to get points via a big old group of them, which is one way to get points in this game, students are the way to go. There are things like the... Physician, because in this game, annoyingly, once you play an expedition, you have to get rid of all the other cards in your hand, which can be annoying and often a rule that is forgotten by many of us, regardless of how far into the game we are. Whereas the physician, say you put out a expedition of four cards with the exposition leader as the physician. So a physician expedition. Yes. Well done, Garth. Getting down with the kids as, yeah, we, as, an we, as we tend to. Uh, you can keep that many cards as well. You're a magician. Yeah. Now you better listen. <laughs> there you go. There it is, out the window. Uh, then there's someone like the guide for I'm going fishing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, old is. man rapid. It's finest. Man. <laughs> <laughs> In- In- oh, what? Oh, what? Oh, what?
1: There's something like the guide, for instance. (laughs) When you're considering the size of your stack for advancing your vehicle, which I'll talk about in a second, they count as one extra. So if you've only got a stack of five, they count as six. That is crazy talk. And there are various different cards, uh, combinations you can have when you set up this game. The game will give you uh, the base five or six they recommend, but there are other ones in there that are a little bit more complicated as well. So you can set up different sets, much like the original Ethnos had with like the eight different races you can use on the map. So what you're going to be doing once you've played these sets out is you can move vehicles onto various different sites. There are six different exploring sites you can go to, and you might want to send your vehicle to different ones to go up the tracks, because every site will also have a different special ability to them. And they'll have different uh, victory point tokens on them, which at the end of the round, you kind of add them up to see how you go, on top of the fact that whenever you play your expeditions, they have a bunch of victory points as well. So the replayability of this game is, you know... Not infinite, but there is a lot to it. Well, because there's also... Each of those locations is... W- w- what? Double-sided? I know. Mm. Crazy talk. So you'll be doing this. Everyone will be doing this rather quickly. People will be putting out cards, you know, putting out their expeditions. They're putting out heaps of cards in the tableau, and you think, oh, I can't wait to grab that card. And then somebody before you, mm. of course, takes that card, and you want to slap them around, and you might be in a large public place, so some sort of board game convention, and there might be six old men just swearing at the top of their lungs. That's just hypothetically uh, what could be happening. We could, for instance, invite somebody to the table that we've never met before who seemed like a nice guy that was hovering around the table and then he could absolutely trounce us. In- was he the first person to say a particularly
2: offensive word? Uh, I
1: doubt it. I,
2: no, I reckon he was. I think he jumped the shark
1: a little bit. Ah. Um, which was great. He was at home. I tell you what, nice he, way to meet he acclimated quite well. <laughs> he did. There you go. That's how you actually do it. So you'll be doing these cards, and then you'll be pulling them out of the stack, and then all of a sudden, uh oh, there's a monkey card in here. Look. A magic monkey idol of craziness. Monkey Yes, which is in the bottom half of this deck. And when the third monkey comes out, that's the end of the round. Mm. And then, like I said, you'll add up the points you've got on your various different locations. Put them on the old victory track, which is a giant spiral board. Probably unnecessary, but there it is. Uh, And then you'll have more rounds after that. In a game uh, where you play with four to six players, you'll play over three rounds. Sensible. In a game where, which we haven't done, I must say, where you only play with two or three players, you only do two rounds of this. Wow. Which seems like... Not that you get an engine going in this game, because mm-hmm. once the cards are in your hand, they're almost out just as quick. But two rounds of any game seems... Very weird. So, probably a thing we should have played before we talked about it. I don't think so. But we didn't, (laughs) because that sounds stupid. It it also doesn't appeal to me playing (laughs) this kind of game at such a small player count. No, no. This is, like I said, this game is very much the you took my card, you, mm -hmm, Mm. and that's kind of where half the fun is in this game. Because otherwise, if it's two players and you're focusing, if you could literally go, right, they seem to be focusing on these couple of people. I focus on the other ones. There's no
0: player interaction. Hurrah! Who's got the best strategy? We've min-maxed this. Hooray. And look, one of, for me, I must admit, one of the fun parts of this game is not that you play some cards and you basically throw every other card out of your hand, leaving it out there for everyone to feast on. Mm. But when you can do that little clever thing, which was at the physician? Oh, here he we go again. Let the you. magician physician who's gone
2: fishing, now listen. <laughs>
0: No, that you allowed you to was keep, he Christian? <laughs> doesn't work. Keep a number of cards that you normally would have to throw out because the throwing out, you know, like you, you want to wait until you can get a really good um, meld, if you like, to put down. But then obviously that's more cards you're going to be throwing out for well, everyone yeah, else to use. It's it, it's a little puzzle. It, it like is a game
2: because there's also the hand limit. I think of ten cards, mm, yeah. which you will you will get to really yeah. really quickly. Mm. Um, so yes, it is that that push and pull and as Leon so elegantly described in the rules, there are going to be times where you want to go and do a little expedition of just a couple of cards um, because you just need to cycle things through. The the rest of your cards might be all different colours or all different roles, so there's not much point to it. But one of the really crucial parts of this is as you're going up each of the individual sort of locations, the size of each expedition to cross the next threshold gets increasingly yes. higher yeah. and higher mm-hmm. and while you're doing the reset say basically at the end of every round once the, the third monkey has been pulled out your position on each of those six locations doesn't reset so your position can keep going up and up and up so as the second and maybe third round goes you typically will find yourself focusing on a couple of locations where you might be able to get to a certain threshold which is going to maximize your victory
0: points which isn't always the end no. Yeah, and that to me, that was something that I, I clearly missed when we started to play because all of a sudden I found, hang on, I went from getting four victory points for this location to getting none or one or potentially negative. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, But it's clever and it keeps you engaged. It goes quick. You know, it is like, and this reference actually finally means something to you, Garth. It is like you were playing Ticket to Ride and you've got this <laughs> massive, great big hand and then you're about to go, oh, now I can play... You know, these trains and these trains and these... Things. And just do a huge, big, you know, multiple rounds of scoring. I don't think there's any photographic evidence that I've played that game. But then, you you know, you play one and throw all the rest away. And to me, that does have, a like, a, a levelling effect. So you can't get a master strategy and let just be... Building a massive big hand of cards and then go bang, 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 bang. bang and you b- blow yeah. it all away.
1: This game, you very much, you know, like... Like evolution itself, you very much have to adapt to the situation. For instance, when I was playing this... Uh, and I come very much dead last, uh, was because I was speeding ahead on one of the boards. Uh, I believe it was like uh, the cards, you'd need purple cards, for instance, mm-hmm. to get it. And I was just waiting on my purple cards to come out, and everybody seemed to either be taking them or holding <laughs> them in their hands. So I was just waiting for ages, probably wasting my time when I could have been doing other better things. And then yep. somebody did a, a, a stack, and then they put like three purple cards out there. And I was like, yeah, beauty! And then they were all gone <laughs> by the time it got around <laughs> to my turn. Because like I said, this is a game you would want to play yeah. I think any game that plays quick um, that goes up to a higher player count, it's normally that's where you want to have. You want to have that higher player count. And this is definitely one of those type of games. Like I said, um, with six players, uh, an hour, it didn't even take us probably an hour in the first time we ever played this. Even though we had played Ethnos before, but it was quite some years beforehand. Yep. Uh, so in terms of like a family weight game, if you have you know a larger family or a larger group... There is definitely a lot worse ways to spend an hour. And I think that... I don't know if this game necessarily needed to do this. I think they probably could have just brought out a new version of Ethnos with probably some better art than the horrific art that was in the original one. And maybe an expansion with a few extra races or something. But they wanted to do a completely different theme. And they the theme does fit with the game mechanics, which is always appreciative. And that's what they've come up with. I do
0: definitely prefer this... Oh yes, is with the um, the expeditions where you're going up the the sliding scales, as opposed to the um, what? How would you describe it? The was
2: it area control? Yes. Yeah, area control. Basically that, what those are the two
0: was. words I was looking for: control and area. The area control bit, where you're covering up sections of the map to see who's got the most part of the map. Um, I didn't like that in, in Ethnos, and I think this version, Archaeos Society, does it a lot better. So I, mm-hmm. I certainly prefer this one. I agree. I remember really disliking
2: Ethnos oh, yeah. um, yep. whenever we played it, which was probably only once or twice, and you know for me that was enough. I was really pleasantly surprised with this, and I agree with you, Leon, that playing it at five or six people and banging it out in an hour, yeah. it's really good, but you want that interaction. You want that frustration of oh you took the card yeah or you want that excitement of ha, 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 i've got the card um and there are some uh, sort of abilities that when you play an expedition you'll be able to take a thing off someone else so there's a bit of take that as well as not just the take that of i've got your card um but there's a lot of replayability yeah because obviously when you're dealing with a really large deck of cards made up of one of i don't know how many different sort of roles there are, but there must be... There's about, ten, there's about 10 or so in each game. Yeah. I think you only use five or six. Yeah, so you've got, again, heaps of sort of randomness thrown in there. What? Yeah, I think it's good, and I
1: don't think it should be a very expensive game either. No, I don't believe that it is, and yeah. as we said, you know, five or six was just where we played it, but I could see this as a game, especially when it stays in your collection, Garth, like, this is a game you could play with your family that after the first game you've played you could then play another one in about half an hour oh, and, they, and the kids probably would want to because like daddy was mean and did a mean thing uh, and with four players the turns in this you're just talking snap, 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 snap well let's, let's pick a card or play some cards yeah that's it pretty much which yeah. you know much like it works so well in Ticket to Ride mm. one of the best family games ever is, as Garth tends to say he's Got a quote who's going to be on the next box, I believe. Mm, um, mm. Yeah, so Archaeos Society compared to Ethnos especially. And Paolo More, is, uh even though he's been around for a long time, is definitely kicking goals of late with things like Blitzkrieg as well. And apparently Dogs of War is getting a reprint, Wow, which we hear every year. Yeah, it'll probably be zombie side Dogs
0: of War. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. Let's take another quick break because you can never have enough, done yet? enough breaks. And we'll come back and talk about the third oh, of three reviews You're with the Dicemen Cometh.
1: The Dice Man Cometh. Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmeyer from Stomeyer Games, and you are listening to the Dice Men Cometh podcast. The D-
3: All
2: right, well, here we are talking about our third and final game Mm. for this particular episode. And who better to throw to than our own old man (laughs) sitting in a volcano, being grumpy, always looking out for everybody and seeing what we're doing wrong than our own little Sauron. Mark
1: I was going to say I was going to say Mark the white who often says on the third on the seventh day of the week look to the hills I'll either be playing golf or in bed <laughs> yeah, and by the way you did that thing wrong yes <laughs> um, so
2: mark would you like to have a very very lengthy director's cut special edition review of war of the ring in
0: the, the card game I could just see so many new zealand landscapes <laughs> Playing across. (laughs) Montage. New Zealand landscape montage, please. So designed by Ian Brody, who I must admit is relatively unknown, particularly to me, although there's a thing called the Quartermaster General Series that I had never, ever heard of, and there's a huge amount of them. Oh, we're reviewing that now, are we, as well? No, no. Um, And this game is published by Ares Game. I won't list the artists because there's a massive number of them, and they do a really good job. Thank you, artists. Um, two to four players, 90 to 120 minutes. <laughs> that's that's pota- potentially the largest piece of fiction in this. We're talking about Lord of the Rings, of course, inspired, inspired by the best-selling and award-winning War of the Ring board game. War of the Ring, the card game, allows players to journey to the world of J.R.R. R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and create their own version of dramatic conflict between the dark lord Sauron and the Free Peoples of Middle-Earth. In War of the Ring the Card Game up to four players compete in two teams, the Shadow and the Free People, we're free. And each player uses a specific and different card deck representing the strengths and weaknesses of the different factions involved in the war. The free people, we're free, (laughs) desperately try to complete their quest to destroy the One Ring, while at the same time defending their homelands from the encroaching hordes of Sauron Sauron and his evil allies. The Shadow Players must strike quickly and decisively before the Ring Bearers can complete their quest. Or try and slowly corrupt Mr. Frodo. Burdening him with wounds, toil, and the sorrow for the loss of his companions. You gotta make Frodo sad. During the game, players will take turns playing cards, representing the characters' armies, items, and events of War of the Ring. Each card they play will help or hinder the journey of the Fellowship as it progresses on its path, or used to defend or conquer the strongholds of Middle-earth as they fight to control the battlegrounds in each round. Yes. Bum-bum. There you go. So, this is effectively a card game version of the massive, massive epic game Lord of the Rings, The War of the Ring, which... We have you played that, Leon? No. Which Garth and I. Have Hence played. why I'm not doing the review. That's right. Which Garth <laughs> and I have played, and yes. it is epic. It is one of those games that takes all day. It does you basically are uh, replaying the, the whole of the three real movies, that the whole of the books of the story of the Lord of the Ring. Lots of plastic dudes on a map. You know, you can play it as two players. You can play it as four players. Similarly, well, <laughs> no, you can actually. Yes, yeah, right. and it's, it's it's similar to that this, this game, but but it is known generally as your two-player. Correct. Yeah. Or, so, so this game again, it does. It says curiously, up to four players, but or sorry, it says two to four players. But really, in my mind, it's two or four players. But I just learned tonight when I looked in the back of this rule book because I hadn't seen it before. Is there are a number of scenarios, and surprisingly, there's a three-player p- three scenario, which, of course, basically, one person pretends to be two people, is basically yeah. how. And that's how it works. works. And, and look, this is what I like about this kind of game,
2: is that it's not just a two-player game that's, when it's four players, you just sort of divide the decks in half mm. and sort of, you know, mm. you take a turn, then I take a turn, then that. that, that, that. The decks are not customised, but they are individual to that particular player.
1: Asymmetric.
2: Sure. Yes, so so you,
0: you do have the within the
2: you've got the Rohirrim the and the people, something that's or other, right, and got, I've got the Dooney Dane and yeah. um, and I don't know the Ents or something else. So you are playing your particular deck of cards, which is it thirty
0: cards per deck?
2: It's, it's some number,
0: that, something like that. That yes. feels very
2: very small by the end of the game. Yes, yes, and
0: then within the shadow, you've got one person has the Isengard and the monstrous factions. The other person has Mordor and the Southrons. Yes. The fighting elephant dudes. Yeah. oliphants, oliphants. Yes, that's right. So, yes. And you can play it as two players. You can play it as four players. There is a shorter scenario. But the game we played was, as I said, it's basically the story of the whole three books, three movies, however you've you've, uh, taken it on board, where you start off in the Shire with Mr. Frodo getting a ring from his uncle and you end with either everyone dead or the ring thrown into the, uh, the fiery desert place. Dude. That's right.
1: Well, yeah. it's not just that. It is. It was the story of the Dice Man cometh itself because we we played us three, and of course Dice Man Trent. Yes. Yeah. And so we had the we had the the two old fellas of being the the evil crusty old demon thingies, and then we had the two young spunks. You, <laughs> oh spunks. Oh. <laughs> yes, the two young fellas as 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 the good free people trying to to get out there, and and much fun was had by well some of us at certain points. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I
2: do get. It called Aragon quite a lot, so it was you know, <laughs> it's quite good. No, it's,
0: a, it's a different word. It starts very similarly, but it's not quite that. Nice. Oh, yeah. choking on my own hubris, <laughs> excuse me. Um, So let me tell you a little a little bit about how this game works. So you will you will have up to nine rounds, is how long the game will go, because there are nine spots on the path, if you like. But the game can end earlier if one of the two factions. Um, is 10 or more points ahead of the other faction. Which is unlikely, because it's
1: quite... It's quite a, yeah, I know, it almost happened, yes. but...
0: <laughs> but yes, it was very close. Yes. Um, now, the thing about the path is, so there's nine parts of the path, numbered, surprisingly, one to nine. Shocking. But on each um, n- n- path number, there are three different path cards, and so you'll shuffle and draw one. So... The game can play a little bit different each time. There are also ways to manipulate the path. So you might be playing on one path which has a certain special ability or whatever, or gives an advantage to one side or the other. You then might be able to play some card that actually says, no, get rid of that path card and draw one of the other two that you didn't use, which makes it quite interesting. There are also the battlegrounds. And so they these are the locations on Earth where surprisingly, on Middle Earth, where, Battles, I have. Oh, battles. And each faction will basically take a turn. One round, they'll be the attacker. The next round, they'll be the defender. And, you know, one, attackers will have swords. Defenders will have shields. And it's basically uh, summing up how many things you've got. Defenders win on ties. But then cards have other ways that they can influence battles. But the crazy thing about this is that since they
1: are there's some somewhat of an order to them, being the numbers and the mm. going back between bad guys and good guy battlefields and whatnot, but they are still slightly randomized. And the thing about this is is that not everybody can participate in every different uh, path uh, yes. and or battle. So you could get to the point where and Trent found this out as as the evil Mordor faction, that even there was big battles where he found he couldn't get involved mm. in, which you would think that would be like, well, they're probably going to get smashed which did happen a few times. However, that means Trent is over there as Mordor behind his big old mountain wall, yep. just building up this big menagerie of yep. big old beasties. And then the next turn when he can be unleashed, we've all essentially just played a round of cards where he hasn't. And oh, fun in shoes. And which
2: that,
0: that's, uh, sorry. You well, what that. I was going to
2: say is, is very thematic. Exactly. Yes.
1: Yeah, which is, which is awesome. Like, yes. it's, it's
2: great that this mechanic works in not only... In a mechanical sense, yes.
0: but also in a thematic sense, which is great for a card game. Yeah. And so you can you can play someone to the path if on their card it says that they're able to be played within that path number. So as an example, the Nazgul, I believe, they can be played path number one to three or f- five to nine, six to nine, something like that. So there's a period in the middle when the hobbits are like, underground and doing stuff that the Nazgul can't have mm. an effect. Yep. Now, they can sit there in front of you because you can play a card to you, what they call your reserve, where they're ready to go and launch as soon as they're possible. Or sometimes other cards will have special abilities that you can use to trigger other funny little things. You have the big characters. Some of the big characters then have equipment that you can provide to them that will beef them up. But as you mentioned, Garth, you've you've got a deck of only 30 cards timing is everything so can i get saramorn out and then can i get out his staff and his cloak and his book or whatever to make him really good because if i don't see those cards in or around the same time he's just a old guy with the stick and he's going to wave around and say get off my lawn yeah, and die and like go you. away i was gonna say should this be the point where we talk about what happened to old Saruman? Well, let's let's <laughs> talk about the the key mechanic which is you have your hand of cards You play a card, whether you play it to the path, to one of the battles, or to your reserve, and then you have to take another card from your very small hand of five or six cards, potentially, and chuck it away. Bloody gloom. I don't think
2: there is a better mechanic that I hate with every ounce of my being Mm. in this game Mm. because it makes every decision so tricky yeah, and every decision so important because you will... 100% 100% have a handful of cards where you go, I'll play that and then that and then that and yeah. then that and then that and then you've forgotten the whole mechanics of the game and you go, I'm going to play this first card and oh, bugger. Yeah. I've got to get rid of the card that I was going to play fourth because I need to play a card to be able to play the mm-hmm. first card. And if I'm going to play the first card, I've got to play this next card, which means I've got to get rid of that card. Oh, yeah, it's so deliciously good while simultaneously causing so much angst and pain. Yeah. It's it's like some
0: pull towards a ring. And sometimes some you will have, a, you know, you'll be on path the second path and you'll have this awesome card which might be, you know, She Lob the Spider that can only be played on path seven or later. And you're like, that's cool, I'm going to cycle that one. That's an easy decision. And then another time you'll have a hand of cards you could all play on this one round. And it's like, no,
3: yeah. I
0: have to decide between. Do I throw away Saramon's stick or Saramon's book? But I want them both because he's not a whole person without them.
1: Is now where we talk about what happened to Saruman. <laughs> Go Leon. I can't remember the specifics because, again, it was a little bit long ago. But, but, it was a but very ba- naughty boy. Ba- basically, Mark had Sauron's army in his deck and, and there was a specific battle where Sauron could come out and cause havoc and just destroy everything. And Mark, you can see he was planning, he was bringing out various <laughs> pips and thorns and I was just like, here comes Sauron to ruin it. Meanwhile, little Leon over in the corner, he had a little Gandalf in his hand. That had been sitting there since I think the start of the game. That I was just like, I just need to wait it out until Saruman's <laughs> on the table, and then old Gandalf can just wipe him out completely. And I was just and then every time Mark did something that wasn't putting out Saruman, I was just like, no, God, no, is he going to do it? Can I? Do I have to keep. I think I ended up like, throwing up several cards that I didn't want to throw throwing out. up. Throwing up several cards. Throwing up. I was just. <laughs> anxiety. I was throwing up everywhere. Uh, and then eventually, yes, Mark did play his Saruman card. And then he was just like, ho-ho, oh, trouble's going to come now. And then on my turn, I went, nope. The, <laughs> white wizard, on? the white wizard is here oh, and he, yes. he knows what's happening. And then Mark did his... Hang on, can can I see that card? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think that... I know the rules say yeah. this, but yeah. I feel like it's, it's It says
1: destroy Salmon straight away, but that,
0: that can't be a thing, right? <laughs> and look, in terms of the theme coming through, yeah. I love the way you've got these armies. They might be really powerful, but they're great, they, they might be really good in one particular battleground, slightly okay in maybe a couple of others, and mostly useless for the rest.
2: Or not allowed to participate yes. in a particular thing because yes. thematically they couldn't reach there in time or whatever.
0: Or you've got the the characters, obviously, the, the fellowship characters, the big bads, who have these abilities. I mean, I almost swore them. Elrond <laughs> Ron Hubbard, who like just kept, Coming back like a bad case of gonorrhea. Oh, he was fantastic. He would go, he would fight, and then he just had this special power that basically he just
2: he just wore a magical cloak. That's Let's all. He just had a
0: magical cloak. Hang out for a while and then come back. And yeah. He just kept coming back over and over and over and over. As did over Master like Frodo. But, but as his <laughs> Master Frodo's want. Yes, that's yeah. right. And so the way the way this builds towards a crescendo, the back and forth of the battlegrounds, while at the same time the path is progressing. I have to admit, I just loved how it all fitted together. And while it's not that epic full-day experience of a War of the Wing with the minis and you see big armies of minis swell up and then get die destroyed. down and get destroyed and mm. disappear... It did have that ebb and flow. It did have that tug of war feel, where oh my goodness, the bad guys are doing really well. Oh, the free people are coming back, and now oh, and it just you know the swings and roundabouts. It created a really great fun experience. And when we looked at this game and we thought, oh god, it is going to take as long as the um, The as the full game and the movies, (laughs) it was surprisingly quick. Now you know, obviously our first game. Did take a little while because we were we were learning it, but it didn't overstay. It's welcome. No, I think it really only was like a couple of hours, maybe slightly. Well, you, yeah,
2: yeah, it didn't certainly feel long. I think, and Leon, you did an excellent job in teaching it. So thank mm. you very much for that. Um, but it you you're invested in everyone's turn, and that's that's a really good sign. You're not just focusing on oh I need to do this thing. Yeah, you're. A I team. care about you know in this case it was Leon who was who was the Shire folk um and someone else's i think so i I cared definitely what leon was doing and and you're able to not necessarily table talk but you're absolutely able to sort of work together um you and trent mark were were able to do the same but i cared what you played and i cared what trent played as well and you know because you've got the um the reserve area where you can play you can really prepare you can you can look through your deck you know which I strongly suggest you do at the start of the game, to try and get an idea of when you're going to be able to play these characters. And it won't become apparent until you've already played the game and you go, oh, bottom! Yes, I played that one, or I didn't play that one because it was only able to be played on the path in round five. Like I I think it was maybe the Strider card or something like that because there's a Strider and an Aragorn card. But one could be played in one path and that's it. And some cards are like that. And unless you have that knowledge... Have the card at the right time. You, you're certainly going to be able to use it either either as that throwaway card or potentially for something else. But you will only understand the nuances of that after you've played it once and stuffed it up. Yeah. Um, this game is, I think, really really clever.
1: Yeah, and I do think it's funny that like every game that we play that's any sort of card game, especially something like, say, a deck builder, which is this isn't, but we always go on about, oh, it'd be great if there was, there's more deck thinning. We need more deck thinning mechanics, whereas this game would just make you hate oh, the idea of deck because the amount of goodness. cards you have to get rid of that you don't want to and then by the what end of that the game... What mechanic that you and Trent Played? Oh, it just oh, yes, there yeah. was, was the, basically um, the it made
2: you get rid of cards. Yeah, permanent, a perma-
1: permanent. It made you get rid of a permanent. We yeah. didn't have to cycle it, which means it was going to come back. In forsake, the, yeah. Forsake. So yeah. you
0: had to forsake a card, and you know, as you said, when you had a down to a hand of three or four, yeah. And the fact that you need two, a minimum of two cards, to be able to play one, yeah. All of a sudden, if you have to throw a card out of your hand, well, you had three cards in your hand, uh, you had four cards. You thought you're going to get to play two. Now you've got three cards and you can only play one. And you might you might easily have half a dozen cards sitting in your reserve.
2: Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you Oh and, and I love slash hate that <laughs> tension that that the second half of this yeah. game is, which is I want to do this stuff. I haven't got enough cards to do it. Every decision is so critical. Yeah. Um it's I think it's really clutch. Really, really when
0: I was making my notes, I i i don't know why i picked these words i described it as having a wobbly balance in that if you could play every card at it at its perfect time you would be a powerhouse but you never can no and that just throws so many spanners into so many mechanisms that and the fact that you've got to cycle through the cards and you know, the, the individual decks, I mean, so technically there's four individual decks, but you can play two 1v1 one one, where you play two decks each. I feel like that might um dilute the experience because when you're playing just one of the four decks, your deck is designed to work with your deck. And if you've got those two decks mixed in, as I said, that that experience is going to be diluted. Yeah, I agree. I loved how It feels a little bit asymmetric, but you're still all playing the same game mechanically. Um, Yeah, look, I I must admit, I was quite surprised how much I enjoyed this game, and I'd definitely love to play it again. Yeah, and not only is it
1: half the time it takes to play the War of the Ring game, um, it's much more accommodating. I would say this game is aimed at a four-player audience, whereas War of the Ring, I think, is aimed more at your two-player for an epic day. Uh, It's half the time. It's also half the price. It's easily. only like sixty, maybe seventy bucks, which yeah. is a bit for when it's only essentially a few deck of cards, granted. However, when you've got the the big mini fest other version, I know there's been reprints of late, so you can get it for like 140, 150 mm. but for a while there you couldn't get it for Love Nor Money yes. for under two hundred. And the fact and is, like the expansions. Oh yeah. Ooh, trying to get those. Exactly. And the fact is, if you uh you play this with um, you know, one of your children's or a mate or something, it is, as we said, it is the trilogy in one game yes, yes. but it plays out differently in different times but also it still makes thematic sense when it plays out these different
0: things so i think yeah it's it's very much a winner uh, there's also i uh, and again i didn't realize there's a couple of expansions or there's one out and there's one coming Yeah. so the first expansion is called against the shadow which basically lets one to two players play the free people and the Shadow is played by an Automa. Oh, okay. Which is um, interesting. That makes sense. Yep. And then Fire and Swords is going to allow play up to six people, hmm. which there was only a mock-up shown at Gen Con. There's very little detail about it, so I don't know what the new factions are going to be. But, um, again, if you had six separate decks, the fun will ensue. I don't even oh, know how you sure. do that, but sure. Um, but there you go. That was Lord of the Rings, War of the Ring, the card game.
2: Yep, I recommend it. I think it's a really strong, mechanically sound game mm. uh, that Leon and I obliterated.
0: <laughs> oh, I was so, so close Trent for a while. Our oh, Train was so
1: pleased, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there, going like, "These few turns where I get to do stuff is really good, but the rest of it is." <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, shall we take a break? Indeed.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, that was that was the last game that we're going to talk about for this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. We just we just got. A couple of things to wrap up the episode, and then we'll be done. Cool. Indeed. Uh, you're listening to the Dice Man Cometh. The Dice Man
2: Cometh. Hi, this is Matthew Dunstan, and you're listening to the Dice Man Cometh, the best podcast in Australian board gaming. The D- Well, there you go. Like all good 360 degree circles. We've come full circle. We've, we've ringed <laughs> yeah. back to the beginning again. No, we've talked about the ring. Too many bones. Yeah. Archaeus society just to throw them in. Mark. Garth. Did you want to, like, do you want to wrap this episode up or something? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. No, I was sort I was, of itching to say something,
0: it feels I was, like. I'll, no, I, look, I was just going to finish things up. And by that, I mean, I'm going to finish things up. Um, yeah, you're wrapping up the show. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. that's right, Leon. Yeah. I am wrapping up the show. Yeah, playing the, you know, we're saying goodbye and then push the button. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. we we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll We have to play more games and in two weeks we have to do more stuff. And we'll the... get to that in the moment. So yep. as, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, you know, we've all had life sort of get in the way the last few months or so, some more than others. And um, while this was all happening, I sort of had the opportunity to reflect thinking so not of, a vampire <laughs> thinking about oh you know what am i what i'm gonna do what am i gonna do, I gonna do? <laughs> you know you, you get to that age sometime where you sort of pause and reflect and look back at your life and think about all the good things you've done <laughs> all the fun you've had over the um the last 10 years almost exactly uh
2: except for those couple of years where you so sort of just skedaddled and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: left to the strapping young lads that's to take right. over.
0: And, you know, where, where you generally get to in your head is I think I'm done. Okay. In that I think I'm done doing the podcast. And I I just found as I as the time went on, I really felt like I'm just I'm just not excited. Um, you know it, it feels like work and I I know I said to myself last time after I took a break that if it didn't if it didn't feel like fun and by that I don't mean I don't have fun playing games because I do but I guess it's the everything else it's 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 editing it's thinking about trying to play new games all the time it's thinking about making time into into a, a already busy routine and that playing these games that we don't necessarily want to play, but we are going to have to play because we want, need to review them, whether that takes away time from playing games that we want to play. And so on that note, I... And, and of course I informed you all beforehand. What? It's not a surprise. <laughs> I was um, listening. I
2: thought you were just... I don't, I don't listen to most of what you
0: say. No, so for me... Got more warning than last. time. Of- for me, I'm taking a, uh, a break, which I would describe as... Permanent. Going out to pasture. Yeah, yeah. And look,
2: who knows? We have to tell the kids that Mark's gone to a farm upstate. Yeah. That's
0: right. yeah. <laughs> um No, look, and you know, look, Leon a while back said that family yes. and all these other things, you know, were getting in the way. And... You know, <laughs> he made the decision, as some people do. You know, just family to, do get in the to way. To prioritize, yeah. Those things. I might just jump in there for a second, Mark. That, yeah.
1: yes, I kind of said to the lads that I'm happy to jump on the Patreon episodes that we do every month because they're my favouritest Because we get to, it's a bit more freeform and we get to do the swearing, which I'm a big fan of. But I also said that I probably would be out of the normal episodes at least. I think I said basically to, to the, at least early next year for the foreseeable. Uh, but I, I think we need to uh, make it. Clear that Mark's saying that he's leaving, but we're all leaving. It's it's all it's all. Are a, we? Yeah, oh, is that what we're saying? Yeah, you know how last time me. you know how last time me and Garth were took over and just stayed along. Yeah. Yeah, that's not happening. This oh, thing. It's some oh, really good in interviews day. back then, though. Oh, we had it was some... excellent without belts. actually. I had this one episode, right, Well, I had, like, two <laughs> Americans and a Brit at the same time. It was crazy talk. I was quite proud of myself, that episode. But, yes, good time to look back on. But, yes, after 10 years, and as you said, I don't think it necessarily... Well, to me, anyway, it didn't feel like becoming work, but it did feel like it was becoming harder to make the the content to the the, the top quality yeah, that we strive yeah. for here. And as and as a, um, there's another secret you guys didn't tell me. You want quality? Yeah, I know. We took, took a while. But we forgot. But as as a great man once said, as a as Batman once said, <laughs> uh, he's my like, favorite Marvel guy. Yes, he's not as real. That, Leon. That it is better to die a hero, burn or, out than fade away, than see yourself become the villain. Yeah. So after yes, after ten years of blood, sweat, and tears, that is actually easier. I find to uh, to to let go than to to carry on holding on. Uh, But, that being said, before you guys get to say more, um, this is not a we're done completely. This is not uh, the Dice Men uh, no longer mate, you'll never hear us or see us ever again. That is not true. Uh, It's just simply Mm -hmm. that... We just don't have it in us at the moment, because when this started, we made fun of Mark for being old, because he's always been old. He's, what, he's just one of those people. It's like, it's like Clint Eastwood. You know how he's never been young? But he's always grumpy. Exactly. It's that is the, Mark. Wow, that is Mark. It's kind of the same type of thing. You can pry my microphone <coughs> from my
0: cold That's Charlton
1: Neston, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Cause the, and his NRA punk. speech. Yes. <laughs> Yes, my point being that I was the chipper young lad when we started and yeah. not so much anymore. Yeah. But what I was going to say was when it comes to seeing us at conventions and stuff like that, that's still going to come and that's still going to happen. But not packs. No, not not the packs at the moment. Well, not but, this year. But anyway. things like your can cons and especially your border cons, you are a hundred percent still see us there. And things like the social medias, we're not just closing them down. They'll still be there when we can be bothered putting stuff up on them. We yeah, will. Yeah, could you do that every week or so? Mark, that'd be really <laughs> handy just to yeah. show people. So we're since you've got dead. plenty of time now, because this whole yeah, I you're to retired, Like I mean. Nah. Yeah, but we're still going to play plenty of games. We've still all got plenty of games in the collection and there's still plenty more. I've got an email just then saying, I've got more Marvel zombie side coming. So, oh, Batman fighting zombies. woo So, yeah. Hang on, Batman's not Marvel. Didn't you know that, Leon? No, I don't know what you're talking about. I've, Garth has influenced me so much. Right, okay. there you go. But yes, as as I said to Mark earlier, this is not so much a, a goodbye. This is very much, a, we'll see you later. Because we will. we'll we'll hear you later or you yeah yeah
2: exactly yes Yes. all of the all of what you said is is correct it's been fun i mean we started this to get free games and have a bit of a laugh (laughs) yeah and we've had a laugh and we've got free games
0: and you've literally got games on the floor because we haven't got enough shelf space anymore and look a a good thing uh, to have in, in reflection for me i think when we started this and apologies to anyone out there who was creating content that we weren't aware of. There really wasn't a lot happening in the Australian scene, that's for sure. Who no. knew? And if you think about the number of people that were out there, even globally doing it, the you know there was way, way, way less. So yes, some of those people are still around, but so many more have gone by the wayside. And I think ten years is a huge chunk of our lives. Three hundred and sixty episodes plus all the special episodes, interviews all the things we've done at various conventions. I think I certainly feel very proud of what we achieved, that's for sure. I think we really put our hand up for the Australian board gaming scene. One of the reasons I feel like maybe I'm okay to move on is that other people have stepped up. And, you know, when you look at the impact that Thinker, Thema are having, you look at the impact that those guys around the grilling thing are, are, are having, yeah. they, particularly those guys, you know, like... They do what they do really well, you know, building community. Their podcast is also okay. So I think other people have have stepped up. That's a lie, Garth. We were on it once. We listened to that (laughs) Actually, Other people, I think, have stepped up now to fill the void. Um, And I look forward to seeing what, what they get up to, that's for sure. Yeah, we've 100% left this in a state
1: that was better than when we first started. Yeah. In the fact that, I'm not saying arrogantly that we're passing the torch, I'm saying that when we started, or when Mark and Trent started, in Australia, there essentially wasn't a torch. So if we were in a small way of... It's like a match
0: flickering. Yeah, if
1: we were had our small way of helping that torch be built and carried on, Um, I'm happy. And again, I'm proud of of everything that we've done. And the people that we've met and the the happiness that we've shared with everybody along the way, it can't be understated. The positives outweigh the negatives a hundred to one times without a shadow of a doubt. And the people that have helped us along the way, you know who you are, all our sponsors and friends and whatnot. We wouldn't have done this without you and without your enthusiasm for us to keep going. We would have packed it in a long, long time ago.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly a super special mention to Charles at LFG, who pretty much out of the kindness of his heart, because I don't think he's really made a a cent out of anything we've ever done, (laughs) has supported us, has supplied us with games, has encouraged us, has been fantastic. Other people, um, Tina, our Dice sponsor from Behold Games, has been fantastic. The support of people like... VR distribution, yeah, VR Games Publishing. Yeah, Let's Play Games. Let's Play Games, yep. Good Games Australia, all those groups, as well as all the, the lovely designers out there reaching out to us, sending us prototypes, even though we hate playing prototypes. No, we but, don't.
2: <laughs> um, I've still got prototypes of The Brigade from Alex Winter and those oh, games yeah. back somewhere in another, yeah. another cupboard. Look, I think we have been a part of a really exciting 10 years for the Australian tabletop hobby. Because even the games that were coming out of Australia a decade ago do not compare to the quality of games that are coming out. And and look, we've said it before, I think we're still in the infancy in, in Australian tabletop game design. We've obviously got Australia's own Martin Wallace. Of course. And we've obviously got Phil Walker-Harding, and now we've got Matt Dunstan back from um, yeah. from overseas, so
1: that's great. And then when it comes to the artists, we have flat out got the top two or three board game artists in the world are Australian, and they happen to be our friends. Yeah. yeah. And and look,
2: it's it's been so wonderful to see... Australian presence on the global tabletop scene increase and increase and increase. And the the strength of the community is really something to behold. You know, you look at organisations like the TGDA and you just look at the social networking that happens. Like I remember back in the day, we would get messages from new potential content creators going, how do you do it? What do you do it? Do you make enough money to support living on this? And we go, (laughs) money, what's money? (laughs) Oh, of course we, we. do. <laughs> um, but the, the fact that, hopefully, we were approachable um, and were able to answer questions, whether we gave the answers you want to do or not, um, but we were, we were visible, we were shining a light on Australian tabletop um, scenes. We have made no secret that we are absolutely always focused on promoting and growing the hobby. But that doesn't mean that we're going to say every Australian game is great because yeah. there are certainly numerous situations where it's just not the case. Does that make it bad? No. It means it's a step to making a game better or to having a new idea or to coming up with something that needs improvement. That's great. And I love the fact that this scene is so vibrant and yeah. so inclusive and so diverse. Um, and it's nice to have played whatever role we have
0: in that over the last 10 years. So, no, it's been fun. And look, I think... We have to absolutely mention, I think most importantly, you, the listener, I know there's one of you out there, I'm sure. someone' looking at me and I'm saying, oh, that God, guy, that, guy that went to see Indiana Jones, he must look, be out there. You know, from, I will never forget, PAX 2014, where Trent and I were there. We didn't know what we were doing. Somehow we managed to be doing a panel with mark morrison talking about um cthulhu role-playing and that aussie martin wallace talking about world building we had a theater all to ourselves and we were like oh, oh. What? no one turned up and there were a few people there but you know at that time when um up rocked, one richard and said oh g'day i i listened to the show i really like it you know and every time that someone did that where they saw our hoodies or our t-shirts and came and said oh yeah, I've listened to your show, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, the simple fact... Keep trying. Or whatever. No, but I mean, just people... Firstly, people taking the time to listen, but secondly, to let us know that they're enjoying it has been so satisfying. And I think about all the friends we've made, the people that have visited, visited Tasmania and yelled out and we've gone to the pub and played a game with them, the people that we've met at BorderCon, at CanCon, at PAX, at LFG... All the friends we've made along the way, um, it just has been a, a beautiful, delicious journey. Yeah, and the simple fact that like we have had people ask us
1: to you know, to take photos with us and stuff, and even had people ask us to like sign various board games that we've slagged <laughs> off or been big fans of, which for uh, you know three people from the, you know the <laughs> deepest, darkest Hobart. But are still show ponies at heart is is a great thing that we've had and we've also, as you said before, with all the reviews that we've given and the our opinions, it's always been a hundred percent honesty. We've never mm-hmm. we've never said a lying word to anybody, whether it be in person or on this show. We've never sold out our morals. I mean, we would have. We were just never given the option. Yeah, no it. one asked us to. do I, that. We would have done it in a heartbeat. But no, the money was never there. Yeah. But I mean, I guess people will just realised those guys are just. They're too down-to-earth and cool, so I'm not even going to approach them for that sort of stuff. So I guess that's the legacy that we leave.
2: Yeah. Poverty, but... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, well, that's episode 360. It is. It's the Dice Men Goeth. Finish your Thorrenda Thor.
1: 360, get it, Mark. Dice it's a full circle. I see, th- I see what you did
0: like... Full circle. Like two hours ago, he said that. Ended up. Not with our heads up our butts, but with our eyes on the horizon, thinking about what our next challenge might be. Just that. Next challenge? Just that, really. You're going to start a golf podcast or something, Mark, are you? No. No, I'm hanging up up my microphone (laughs) um, for who knows how long. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure working with the both of you. And look, the great thing I know is we're going to continue to play games around the table. We continue to hang out. We continue to talk rubbish it just won't be recorded which is probably a safe, safer thing <laughs> yes but essentially yes in this day and age of cancel culture
1: our time was run up anyway <laughs> we only got about 10, 10 episodes into the, the patreon before we realised, asked oh, we're not going to be the last yeah. <laughs> but yes no that's a lie but yes okay yep. and if
2: anyone needs a uh, a free voice just let us know and we'll we'll uh We'll get Mark. Mark, do you want to be? I was
0: going to say, you know, for all those budding podcasters out there who are looking for, you know, some voice talent, Garth is clearly the only one of us. who's not so tired that he's had to retire. So, you know, hit him up. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to prepare. I wrote precisely nothing for the last (laughs) couple of reviews. Oh, if there's money involved, I'll stick around. No one ever said anything (laughs) about money. No, no, I'm not talking about money. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, Mm. thank you so much, everyone for listening right to the very end. I'm, Is anyone still there? Thank you. Oh, come Um, on. We've really enjoyed it. I don't know whether for those people who listen as soon as this hits the airwaves, whether, you know, you might not choose to comment so that at least people can discover for themselves as they listen to the episode. That's totally up to you. Feel free to yell out to us. Yeah, it is. Give it to the
1: people. Give
2: the people at least a legacy of some freedom. We will. And feel yeah. free
1: to get in touch and tell us all the lovely things that we've done. Because we always like to hear it. Again, yeah. show pony. Also, oh, I'm not it. going to
0: shut down the email address yet. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Oh, we've got to keep paying the bills. Yes. <laughs> keep the website up. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've got to keep the host. Anyway, yeah. 360, we've spun the black circle, and let's ride off, like Frodo, into the West. And May you be... just play more
2: games, everybody. Yes. Play more games. Yes. Okay, can we go and drink wine now?
1: Wine now? Okay. See you, Mark. See you, Leon. It's been a blast. Yes, see you, guys. Bye, everybody. See you, Mark. Bye. It's been an absolute Bye. pleasure. Bye. Bye. Oh, yeah. The Dice
0: Man comes. <laughs> You've been listening to another episode of the Dicemen Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.